So today we're talking to Alex. Hi, Alex. Hello. And we're going to talk about building closure script frontends in 2023. But maybe before we jump into this topic, who's Alex? Yeah, so uh, it's great to be here on the podcast. I've uh, listened to quite a few of them in the past. Um, and I was first introduced to Clojure in my first ever job, which seems to be something of a, a rarity. Most people I speak to are sort of ex-Java right. developers or sort of came from right. uh, the industry and uh, got into Clojure that way. But I, I came into it as my first ever programming language um, just happened upon a job at Juxt um, and yeah, learned Clojure and that was about five years ago. Uh, so since then I've, I've worked on a variety of projects. Uh, Juxt, if you don't know, is a consultancy that does uh, Clojure con consulting projects and I've done mostly front end during that time mm -hmm. and a lot of Clojure script but also a bit of TypeScript, um, quite a lot of back end Clojure and um, quite a wide variety of different sorts of use cases and projects mm -hmm. and, and internal tools as well within Juxt. Yeah. How many years have you been doing that? So I joined Juxt at the end of 2017, so mm -hmm. it's five and a half years, I think. Right. That's very interesting. So can I, before we jump into the front end, like as a person coming and, and like starting with a closure, closure script, um, do you feel like you had to like pick up a lot of Java slash JavaScript uh, to be proficient in Clojure? Yeah, it's a good question. I think at first, I remember everything being very overwhelming. I think everyone that gets into programming experiences this because right. unless you're sort of going into doing um, like very basic, I don't know, machine code, there is just inherently a ton of stuff in the stack uh, right. that you you have no hope of understanding when you first start writing programs, unless you literally want to spend 10 years like understanding every little thing. Right. But I, I am the sort of person who learns by uh, diving in at the deep end, looking at examples of what I want, and then sort of trying to bodge things together. Right. Um, and so I, I kind of put off learning uh, the underlying Java, JavaScript stuff for as long as possible. And I, I just focused on what I could see in front of me and, and not trying to get bogged down. But eventually I sort of, well, partially I picked up some of this underlying knowledge along the way just by mm -hmm. necessity. And then I did start to spend some time diving deep into what was actually going on like how does the closure script compiler work for example um you know what what does it get turned into and then when i went on to writing some javascript and doing some uh, you know typescript and, and that sort of thing that also furthered my understanding of what things what what was happening and uh yeah i think i think that was very helpful actually especially when it comes to things like reagent which try and hide a lot of the underlying uh, magic from you, right. knowing what is actually going on there can definitely be useful. Right. Yeah. So you mentioned just Reagent, which is one of the main options of writing front end with ClojureScript. Uh, how do you look at all of this after you know doing doing this for five years and having the experience? Yeah. So obviously. Um, Reagent is a React wrapper, and React is just one way to do front ends. It's definitely the most popular way. It's the way that I find myself reaching for, um, maybe more out of familiarity than anything else. Though I have tried other things, Svelte and 
solid and also some server side type things like htmx and just rendering hiccup um <laughs> and i i often just find that reagent and react is the easiest for me to to get stuff working unless it is really simple um and recently um on my current project we're moving from reagent to mm-hmm. uix which is one of these newer mm-hmm. closure script react wrappers so does helix and uix both very similar really the only reason that we picked uix over helix was um the company felt a bit safer with it being sponsored by pitch rather than being a sort of solo project though i have no problem with helix i've used that for side projects uh, but anyway um the only reason we're moving is because of performance, which is something I can get into more if you want. But sure, yeah. uh, Reagent is very simple. It's very closure if that's a word. You have your hiccup data structures. Right. Um, you write defn for your components. Uh, a lot of it looks like closure, and right. especially when it comes to having reagent atoms and swapping into them and subscribing to them, it, it feels like Clojure should do for right. the most part. And that is until you start needing to use a lot of third-party libraries. So if you, like on this project, we're using uh, libraries like um, AG Grid and uh, some hook-based libraries. Uh, this is another thing, hooks, which... <laughs> I can get into, but um, yeah, once you start using all of these third-party libraries, I find the abstraction starts to sort of break down, especially Mm -hmm. when performance is important and you need to keep things as JavaScript data structures um, or or you don't want to pay the cost in translating between JavaScript data structures and closure data structures. Obviously, immutable closure data structures are great, but there is a cost in using them, mm-hmm. um, especially in terms of garbage collecting in, in the JavaScript world. And reagent using vectors as its syntax has a cost in terms of the the garbage that's generated when you have lots of very fast re-rendering components. So so basically we're we're having to move and yeah, that's been fun. right. Right, right. So you mentioned a couple of those um, React wrappers, the Helix, UIX. Uh, there is a couple of others like RAM and Fullcrow. Um, it's like, so what's the what's the point? Like, so you said the performance is the bottleneck, and the interop with React hook libraries. Um, how do you consider? Like, how do you pick which one to go for? In terms of like, do you do any kind of uh, tests, or do you like play around, or what's the process? Yeah, so uh, how you pick libraries is obviously like a massive topic. I don't have a simple answer to that one. I think uh, people would love that since there are many issues with, oh, I need a library to do X, and then you spend like an entire day looking at the thousand Mm -hmm. options on NPM or or whatever. Uh, So I, I actually think that if possible, and if especially if you're like using Reagent and Reframe, you should try and stay within the closure ecosystem as much as possible because as soon as you start using libraries that have been written in javascript for the javascript audience you're sort of like not necessarily playing with fire but there are 
there are dragons down that road, right. especially when the library when React does something like it release hooks, which completely fundamentally changes a bunch of core stuff, and then the library updates to support hooks, and then it sort of stops working with Reagent. And if you're sticking with uh, Closure Script libraries that have been written in Reagent, then usually things are great and you never really notice that anything is wrong and things are stable they don't change every six months right so if possible that that is the way that i do things however the javascript ecosystem for all its faults is massive and there are a lot of very high quality libraries that do niche things that you sometimes need right. so i don't know of any good quality table grid components that have been written in closure script for example uh, and i did try and write one and i realized that it was actually quite hard mm. especially when you get onto you know pivot tables and advanced features like that but there are loads in the javascript world um and yeah coming back to your question about how do i sort of know what libraries to choose and the performance of them and and how to test that sort of thing um we did some we set up some performance tests and we used the profiler a lot like the built-in browser dev tools mm -hmm. um there's also the react dev tools and actually that that is one thing the react dev tools don't work great with reagent because reagent i'm not going to say abuses react but it it has some things that it does that react doesn't expect and therefore the dev tools don't know about and mm. so using using the dev tools is a bit tricky with reagent sometimes but but the profiler will will show you where there are hot paths in your code and and where things are slow and you can you can get good performance benchmarks from doing it and we did find like quite a significant increase in render speed when changing to uix and mm -hmm. i think largely because of UIX is using macros or, or functions to produce the React components, and it's a lot closer to React, whereas Reagent builds a lot of things on top of it using immutable data structures and making sure that things are memoized all the time. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the, that that's nice, except for when you have lots of high-performance hot paths. <laughs> Right. Uh, did you maybe play around with Fulcrow? So Fulcrow is um, Fulcrow is one of these things that every like so often I will watch a video by Tony K and I'll think that looks amazing. Right. This looks like it's going to solve all my problems. I need to learn this. Right. And then like forty eight hours later, I'm like, my brain has melted. I'm. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. Right. I I just kind of like accept that. I'm not clever enough to learn full crew and <laughs> I move on. So, yeah, I, I joined your captain because uh, every single time I went to full crew, I mean, Tony K did like amazing job, uh, but I feel like also he has, uh, like, I talked to Tony a couple of times. He's very sharp. Uh, he knows what he's doing. And I feel like you just need to, uh, you need to get to sort of similar level to him to really like dig through this. And yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I know I know quite a few people that I respect that think Fulcro is great and are really right. like productive with it. I've just never, I, I guess I've never like had 
a massive incentive to jump deep into it and right. spend weeks sort of learning it. It's always been weekend side projects. I've, right. I've decided to look into it, and and yeah, like uh, I I also am kind of I'm kind of against the idea of coupling like strongly coupling the front end and the back end together like that Mm -hmm. and this is a bit of a spicy opinion i think especially at the moment with Mm -hmm. how the ecosystem seems to be moving we have react introducing react server components this is very much like coupling the front end and back end um things like Next.js, obviously, building on top of that. And then in the Clojure side, there are things like Electric, um, which if you haven't seen it, you should definitely check it out. It's, I think, really cool, and I've played around with it, and it's a lot easier to get into than Fulcro. But it's still, it abstracts away the network layer, and it gets rid of this sort of clear separation between front-end and Mm back-end. And I think that there is a value in the simplicity of knowing this is code I'm writing that is running in the browser. Mm-hmm. And when I want data from the server, I will explicitly like request it. And I get why you would want to abstract that away. I just think that it's like a bit scary to me in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, so Electric is the project by, uh, what's his name? Dustin. Dustin Getz, Getz yeah. right. And it was previously called uh, Hyperfiddle. Yeah, so I I don't know what the naming is. I know there's he has like Photon and Missionary, right, and, right. and I think Hyperfiddle is his tool for inspecting datomic databases. Possibly, I, I, I might be getting that wrong, but Electric is the framework for writing both client and server side code in the same function mm-hmm. and producing right. UIs. Yeah, did you maybe had a chance to play with Shadow Grove? Yeah, so actually, that's yeah, that's another good one to mention. If we're talking about st- keeping everything in the native closure script mm-hmm. land that um is a very interesting option and i know that thomas heller uh, who wrote that who also wrote shadow clgs he he did it because he was sort of finding the same problems that i found in terms of uh using a react wrapper has its trade-offs and yeah the javascript world and closure script world do not align that nicely because JavaScript assumes mutable data structures and ClojureScript assumes immutable data structures. And yes, Shadowgrave is this from the ground up, um, right. gets rid of the virtual DOM. It's basically React but written in, uh, in ClojureScript. I haven't actually like played with it that much, but uh, and I know that it's quite sort of alpha. It's It's not exactly production ready, but it is a very interesting idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, l- looking back and like looking at all of those libraries you mentioned, like, wh- what do you pick today? <laughs> yeah, good question. So, um, I think it really depends what you're writing and where you feel comfortable. I think if you've only ever written reagent apps, you've not really like got much experience writing JavaScript React, mm-hmm. and you don't want to build like hugely complicated high performance um front ends i would just stick with reagent i think there are plenty of libraries that work well with reagent um mm-hmm. even though there are plenty that don't and there is a lot of uh, community support there's a lot of example projects it's been around forever it's stable um it does have a uh, newer functionality that works with hooks sort of um and and i and i think it's like the nicest looking and 
most stable framework as long as you stay within the happy path, right. which most people can do. Right. Yeah. I also feel like it's also very easy to pick up because as you mentioned, it's like it's all closure. It's defen and you know, you do lead bindings and like in case of a reframe you just do a subscription. Mm -hmm. There's maybe a bit more syntax there, but in general it's like you look at the code and it's like, oh it's just functions and lead bindings and Yeah. Yeah. It's so, pretty straightforward. Yeah. So, so actually yeah, this that's you just uh reminded me of, of something I wanted to talk a bit about, which mm -hmm. is reframe, I guess. So far we've talked about the React wrapper right. and rendering components and producing visual things on the screen. But uh, for state management, right. um, reagent is relatively limited. You can have your atoms, but really it's it's uh, not great for when you need a lot of state right. management in the same way that you probably wouldn't just use React um, you'd have a another library in the past redux was very popular um yeah. now there are lots of options and again like choosing the best option is is always difficult but on my last project i it was the first time i'd worked um in typescript rather than ClojureScript, just because the client had several TypeScript people already. They mm -hmm. the back end was in Clojure, but they they wanted the front end to stay in TypeScript, and so that was that was new to me. And there was a lot of frustrations there coming from ClojureScript. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I get now why they why the JavaScript community is so excited about typing everything because there's so many foot guns that uh, if you don't have types, it's very easy to shoot yourself. Um, but it did introduce me to React Query. Mm -hmm. which is a library for managing state effectively mm -hmm. and most importantly, remote state. So state that is not immediately available, that's not in the client. So this is stuff that you fetch from the server mm -hmm. um, usually. But the abstraction that React Query gives you, I think is really elegant. So you provide a function that returns a promise mm -hmm. and then it will manage whether that uh, function is loading, whether it's been resolved, whether there's an error and all of this state and, and it gives you like a map that you effectively subscribe to which will update um, when, when the data updates or when there's an error or when it's loading. Mm -hmm. And it handles all of these common patterns that you have with remote state really well. And I feel like in reframe, there isn't really a good like standard for doing that. I mean, you can do it yourself, and I've seen it done in many different ways. People associate loading question mark into the DB every time they do a fetch request and Right. Sometimes that's duplicated all over the place. Sometimes there's some abstraction, but I, I've always found that it's a bit boilerplatey. The abstractions are usually leaky because people haven't really thought them through. Um, and sometimes you forget. Yeah, sometimes you forget, and and also um, you have to explicitly dispatch the event, and then you have to explicitly subscribe to the data. Whereas with hooks and React Query having the hook mounted will dispatch it if it needs to be dispatched. Mm -hmm. And if you have it multiple mounted in multiple places, it will deduplicate the dispatch. And and again, I've seen people do this in reframe with reg sub raw. Um, but there are a lot of foot guns 
to doing it properly and doing it without mistakes. And I and I did feel like React Query had really like hit the nail on the head with mm-hmm. with how it's done it. So I'm a big fan of that library. We're actually using it now from ClojureScript with UIX. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I think for state management, it's like really good. And and my my hope is that one day I'll have the time to write like a raw native ClojureScript version of it because I think that would be awesome. Right. So yeah, that's of course one part. We talk about the uh, the view layer, if you will. So like all of those libraries like React, uh, that wrap React. Uh, we talk about Shadow Grove, which is the native implementation. And now we sort of move to the uh, state management. But there's a couple of other things like how do you do routing? You know, how do you do, you know, we mentioned a bit the data fetching. How do you get this stuff from the server? Uh, so how do you look at those things? Yeah, r- routing, um, uh, I like ClojureScript. I, I really like rate it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it has a nice reframe integration if you're using reframe. If you're not using reframe, it still works nicely. Yeah. Uh, if it's, yeah, fine. Um, on the hook side of things, there is like quite popular libraries like React Router or um, Tanstack Router. I feel like a lot of these make trade-offs to try and get good TypeScript support. And this is something I only really realized when I started writing TypeScript is that you kind of have to treat things differently when you want good types with TypeScript. Mm -hmm. And this affects the API of the library you're writing. And especially with routing, this makes... Like, if you want a router to have really good TypeScript support and say that when you navigate to a route that the TypeScript checker will detect that that route is actually in your config and it will error if it's not and it will error if it's not got the right params and the right uh, query parameters are the right types, etc. To to do that well, you have to have what I think is a slightly awkward API. Whereas if you throw away TypeScript and you don't care about it, you can have something that looks nicer but isn't type safe. And obviously in ClojureScript, we don't get types. We don't benefit from any of this TypeScript stuff. So um, yeah, that is one area where I feel like the native ClojureScript things like Creator are better than the latest JavaScript things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, any other routers that you use that you feel like? I mean, I I use a couple of them. I feel like most of them do the job. I think uh, very often we also reach for a routing library without really needing needing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where case statement might do. So yeah, sure. I I think routing libraries have a few important jobs. One is to make sure that when you want to link to something within your app, it's doing it using the history API and it's not reloading the page. So that's relatively easy to solve. Um, Another one is when you get into more complicated views where you want to nest pages and you have, say, a sidebar with a you know, pages that you can click on and then that renders a panel and then maybe within that panel you have other things and you have these sort of nested children and you have a tree of roots. Right. That, that's when a, a router can provide a nice structure for you. Um, and then the other thing which I've started to find more important is dealing with uh, states. So I, I talked a bit about React Query. React Query is for sort of managing your server state data from the back end, uh, but you can still often have state that the back end doesn't need to care about. So, for example, if I have a list of users and I um, 
want to filter this and I click on a filter for age over 18 or something. Right. This is state within my app. I might want to use that state in various different components, but it's not state that I'm storing in the server anywhere, probably. Uh, so you could use an atom, like a global atom, like Reframe does, but then if you refresh the page, you lose that state. And often I find that that's annoying. And so I've started using the URL for storing that sort of state. <laughs> and there are routers that make that very easy. So dealing with um, query params in the URL is a bit awkward. The, the APIs for it are not great, like translating between um, a map and the query params and associating stuff in and and modifying it can be a bit awkward if you're using the native APIs, but there are some good libraries for, for doing that, mm -hmm. um, which, which I've found quite useful for having state that persists when you refresh without it needing to go to the server. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and how about uh, data fetching? Like, what's the story here? Yeah, so for data fetching, React Query is, is my go-to. As I said, it's like, it doesn't actually, it's not actually made with data fetching baked into it so you need to provide a function that returns a promise but fetch like js fetch is yeah. a function that returns a promise and right. happens to fetch data so you can just use that i've actually got i should open source it at some point on this project a effectively a, a wrapper around react query that handles um the to and from JavaScript object marshalling and and wraps it is actually like meant for GraphQL, so mm -hmm. it it um, will subscribe with a, a WebSocket um, and also do the queries and then update the React query cache when things return, um, and and it's it's really nice. I I much prefer it to the way we were doing things before with Reframe, which as I mentioned is is great, but it. It is a bit boilerplatey. It's it's easy to shoot yourself in the foot, I think, and um, yeah, yeah. I feel like there is a lot of uh, in like in Reframe, as you mentioned, you need to shoot the request, and then you need to handle the request, and then you need to handle all the states that you and everything needs to happen in the same place. So normally, for each request, you would have two things. So what's happening on the result? Maybe there is also what's happening on the error. And there's a couple of things there. So actually, from our discussion, as we were talking, I feel like the standard stack of ClojureScript, Reagent, Reframe, Shadow CLJS as a build tool, I somehow feel like in your mind, there's a winner of I prefer TypeScript versus like this and then React and React Query. Mm, yeah, so, well, I think that me going over to the TypeScript side kind of, uh, I don't know, it felt... It felt like I kind of got converted a little bit because mm -hmm. um, I, I I guess I was uh, fortunate enough to be working with people who really knew what they were doing and they showed me like good ways to do things. Right. I think that in TypeScript, it's very easy to not do it in a good way and it's much easier to mess things up than it is with ClojureScript mm -hmm. and Reagent and Reframe. I think one of the strengths of Reagent and Reframe is like how well they get you to stick to good patterns mm -hmm. and how, how how difficult it is to get away from those good patterns that being said i've seen a lot of bad patterns with reagent and reframe people doing side effects in components or in subscriptions and and that sort of thing i know that if you read the docs it says don't do that but it is possible to sure. 
to to make mistakes. But but yeah, I, I found I found my time doing TypeScript after I'd learned all of the weird syntax and all of the weird edge cases and all of the things that I didn't like could be solved. I was like, you know, I, I came around to it, and and I think there's still an argument to be said that it shouldn't be used if your backend is closure and your entire team knows closure. I I don't think getting your team to suddenly start learning TypeScript is is the best thing to do. I think one of the main advantages of ClojureScript is that you can stick with one language. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you if you know JavaScript or TypeScript already and the team does too, then I do kind of feel like it's a, a good choice for a lot of situations. Just pure it's a purely like a the weight of the ecosystem thing, mm-hmm. I think. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I know there's some like sort of companies where on the back end they are using Clojure and on the front end they are using JavaScript or slash TypeScript. Uh, I assume the communication then is happened via JSON, right? Yeah, which is actually what I prefer, even if it's Clojure script and Clojure. Mm-hmm. I, I I like, you know, I get transit and I get why it exists. I've just found that when you start using tools, logging things and trying to inspect stuff and especially if, you know, you're um using third party clients or, or stuff like Graph IQL or, or things that like intercept things, that mm-hmm. everything expects JSON. And the advantages that transit gives you are sort of minimal and not really worth it for a lot of cases in my opinion. So mm-hmm. I, I prefer JSON usually. Right. Would you like to talk about a bit like between, uh, differences between like GraphQL and your experience with using REST in GraphQL? And I don't know, did you have a did you have a chance to play with EQL? Yeah, yeah. So that's another interesting one. So I think GraphQL um, is a really good tool for front end productivity if you have a back end team that like. Are slow, <laughs> basically, um, because it it takes away a lot of like these uh, roadblocks. Like if you have a very traditional setup where you've got a back end API using REST and a front end that calls those REST endpoints, if you want a new field or a new like uh, thing to query adding you need to go ask the backend people can you add this route can you add this extra field to the user so that i can get it with graphql you just you just see the schema and there's all of these great tools like uh graph iql graphical however you pronounce it there's yeah. voyager for producing sort of diagrams there's um apollo studio for like managing schemas and there's a huge ecosystem around it that makes inspecting a graph QL backend and and you can even like generate your uh, fetcher functions. There's like this GraphQL code generator ecosystem where I can say, oh, I'm using React query for my data fetching, and here's my schema, and it will generate a namespace of functions that use React query to fetch the GraphQL things that you specify. That can be really useful and and save a lot of time. However, it definitely comes with its uh, issues. Mm-hmm. It's GraphQL is bad when you're on the back end and when you're like trying to get data from your back end. It's it's bad if you don't know what you're doing and you're implementing your own GraphQL server because there's a whole bunch of 
security and performance pitfalls that you can fall into. And it is bad because it's like that there are some weird things about how everything is a post request and you always get a 200 even mm-hmm. if there's an error. Right. And and I know that there are reasons for that because you can get an, a response which has partial errors and partial data and and so on. But REST has a simplicity to it. It's like a that's standard true. that's embedded into everything. Everyone understands it. So I, I, I'm like on the fence a bit. They both have their pros and cons, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah, how about the um, closure oh, uh, EQL? EQL. Yeah, so I kind of feel like, again, it's coupling the front end and the back end a bit too strongly. I think mm-hmm. if you know that that's not a problem, if you're happy to couple them and you know that you're living in a closure world and you always will and and right. that's what you want, then I think it can be a good uh, thing to do. But you're you're kind of like creating a new standard that is even less supported than GraphQL. So you're not going to get things like GraphIQL and and these tools. You're not going to be able to, um, you know, make use of the massive community around it. And you are, yeah, you, you, you lose out a bit on that. And I would question whether that was worth the nicer syntax mm-hmm. interesting uh, yeah i think there is uh, there's definitely a lot of the things that we can also pick up from other communities and learn and like improve also our tools like you mentioned this uh, react query i haven't played with it but i'm really keen to check it out uh, and see uh, so yeah I, I think just one more thing on the graphql eql mm-hmm. thing something like one big advantage that the people who you know, are, are promoting those tools always say is that it reduces overfetching. So I specify what I want and I'm only fetching that data. I'm not fetching anything extra that I'm just going to throw away. But in my experience, that is like not a problem really for the majority of apps. If I'm getting the user and I'm getting like 50 fields when I only really need 20 or something, it's like such a insignificant amount of extra data network speeds these days are pretty fast um and this i also have the same opinion about everything being server-side rendered and uh trying to like minimize the amount of javascript i mean i know it it definitely can be a problem and especially with closure script you kind of have big bundles and it's quite common to have like three or four megabytes of javascript being transferred but for the majority of actual end users it doesn't matter at all like they don't even care at all so i do kind of question sometimes the amount of effort that seems to be put into tackling these problems all right so i'm um, sorry so you're more on the on the side it's like let's just do uh, data fetching from the server and let's render everything with a client on the browser yeah, I mean, so, it, obviously it depends. If you're making a site that is largely used by people on mobile devices, then mobile still, you know, you won't always have a fast internet connection. But for a lot of the sort of sites that I've built, at least, they've been, uh, you know, interactive, heavy dashboards or, or platforms that right. people will use from a desktop with an inter- a good internet connection and everything happening on the client side like or, or a lot happening on the client side is actually like the best way to go about it. 
Right. Yeah, I think it definitely depends on the use case, right? You need to pick and you need to like pick your trade-offs and like what do you want to do? Like, yeah, definitely there are some websites that are much better server-side rendered than like if you also if you care about also SEO, yeah, yeah. And stuff like this. Yeah, you cannot go around this, right? Yeah. Um that's very interesting. Uh would there be anything else that you would like to talk about? Do you feel like maybe you should explore and like chat, you know? Yeah, so I I would like to sort of um, talk a bit about Bork Dude's latest project. Uh, okay. So if you don't know Bork Dude, he wrote Babashka and a bunch of other stuff, um, a load of very useful things that I use all the time. And he has, I guess he sort of made a name for himself with his uh, small closure interpreter Mm-hmm. program and the things that you can build on top of that so it's a basically a different runtime for closure so closure has you know the jvm clr uh, with closure script um it compiles into javascript but with sci or small closure inter- interpreter it's it's an interpreter so it it reads in a string of closure and it executes it in an interpreted fashion and this has like a bunch of advantages over the compile time you know jvm type based runtimes where you get rid of your startup cost a lot of you're sort of trading off a startup cost for runtime performance but um he has he has this thing called squint and also cherry they're kind of twins or non-identical twins i guess so these are ways of writing closure script that runs that it is compile time actually so it's it's not like uh, it's not using sci um but it compiles into modern javascript or es6 i think specifically so closure script the way, the version that pretty much everyone uses uses a tool called the google closure compiler to compile the closure script that you write into javascript and the javascript that it outputs if you ever look at the output of uh the compiled closure script is weird like if you've ever written javascript it doesn't look like normal javascript that you would write and that's because it's google closure um compatible javascript and and google closure compatible javascript was a thing that was introduced like more than 10 years ago sort of early 2010s i think with it was used by angular js and it was like one of the first let's compile our javascript into something smaller uh things out there because before then the amount of javascript was minimal and people just wrote it and then shipped exactly what they wrote to the client so closure has a lot of cool things and when closure script was uh started it was definitely the best tool for the job and it still is i think a leader in terms of how small it can make your code and how and, and even runtime performance i think it has some really cool stuff that it does however it has sort of fallen to the side in terms of what the mainstream javascript computer community do so there's this battle between like common js and ES modules 
and I don't really understand the battle. Uh, I've sort of like looked into what's going on, but it is like a bit confusing. But the short version is that um, ES modules seems to be winning and it is like a different direction to the way that uh, closure script what was went when it was started and because it's a significant amount of work to change this stuff uh, it, it hasn't really changed so for the majority of people it doesn't matter because um you know bundling all of your closure script into this google closure compatible file is is fine and it works but there are newer tools like vite or vite i'm not sure how you pronounce it uh, which uses um, this thing called ESBuild, which is a, a JavaScript build tool that produces ES modules. And the advantage of this is that browsers now natively support ES modules and um, you can get much quicker uh, hot reload times. So uh, I'm I'm slightly in danger of saying things that I don't understand because I know that I've spoken to Thomas Heller and Shadow CLGS does support ES modules and and stuff, but from what I've seen, it's not the same level of like native support as you get with modern non-closure compatible JS. And so Squint um, and Cherry are tools that compile to this different form of JS. They don't use Google Closure Compiler. They don't run a JVM to compile your Closure script. Uh, so it is like a very lightweight step on top of what then becomes a standard JS build tool system. So you have Vite or TurboPack or whatever the latest thing is, um, and you use Squint to get your closure script into normal JavaScript, and then your normal JavaScript gets turned into whatever the browser expects by the tools that the majority of the JavaScript ecosystem right. understands. And and from playing around with this after coming from TypeScript, it's like quite exciting to me. Mm -hmm. So all the Barktooks work and like the things that she's working on, you just you're on board. I'm I'm very much on board. I think it it's it might be classed as heretical by some people, this stuff, because it like Squint especially, it throws away immutable data structures and it says, let's treat everything that you write in Clojure as natively as possible. So when I write a map, that's actually a JavaScript object. When I write an array, that's a JavaScript array vector, sorry. Um, whereas in ClojureScript, obviously, it's a JavaScript implementation of... Right. Uh, closures hash map or closures vector so squint is really about writing stuff that looks like closure script but compiles to stuff that looks like javascript right so and you that, throw away a couple of things right you throw away immutability and yeah yeah but the thing is that javascript these days has kind of embraced functional programming to a certain mm -hmm. extent you don't mutate global variables anymore everyone uses uh you know const and things like this spread operator and map and reduce and filter and making copies of data structures rather than modifying them in place unless performance demands it so i feel like even though you're getting rid of these immutable data structures it's actually quite difficult to notice if you write um your right. code like you would in javascript 
Great. That's very interesting, Alex. I think this is very interesting. Like, I think it will stir a couple of conversations in the community. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, but, you know, it's like every community needs to, like, find ways to improve. And maybe this will be one of the conversations that will, like, you know, poke some places. And then, you know, it will help up to uh, to move us forward, you know? Yeah. I, I would like to say just uh, I've probably said stuff that's not, entirely accurate um <laughs> there, there, there's a lot of things that i sort of understand but not deeply and yeah definitely feel free to correct me if i've said anything bad um also that one of the advantages and disadvantages of closure script is how slowly it moves mm -hmm. so if you were a javascript developer in the last 10 years you've probably like been faced with thousands of frameworks and styles of writing your code and build tools and all of this sort of thing whereas closure script has is really been like pretty rock solid instability right. and that is like a double-edged sword i think because you miss out on innovations when you do that and especially with browsers changing the way that they work it's harder to get away with that with front-end development and all of and especially when you're uh, relying on third-party libraries as well there there are situations where if you haven't updated your closure script project in five years everything in the closure script land will still work perfectly right but if you're trying to import javascript libraries within the last few years none of them will work um so so it's a double-edged sword uh but i think that it's important that closure script does innovate and i that's why i like things like squint and, and cherry because i think they are like big innovations and and i think that staying the same forever while it's nice that you don't have to learn new things is not the way i would do it i think this is a perfect conclusion of uh like this episode like you gave a lot of your opinions and i think we're finishing with another one uh, which is great you know i I feel like um, I, I'm sure there's this episode will re resonate with a lot of people and it will steer discussions with some others. So, uh, yeah, let's just talk about this and then let people see like what the, they came up with. And yeah, um, it's been is there anything else you would like to mention or? No, I, th I think that's it. I think, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how many people disagree with me and tell me I'm wrong, which I might be. That's so. cool. All right, Alex. Uh, thank you so much for taking time talking about all those things. I will try to link as many things as we talk about in the show notes. Uh, and yeah, I will catch you some other time. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.